Uh, Father, as we come to you, we know that you are the keeper of knowledge. You are the one that sustains and puts everything into order. You decree what laws govern our universe. And you have shown us, you have given us a guide, a guide book uh, to live our lives by. You desire that we have knowledge and that we are not unaware of what you are doing or the condition of man or where we have come from. But we ask, Lord, that you would enlighten us even more today, that you would help us to stay on track, that you'd help us to remain focused in the midst of turmoil inside the world. We know that there is stability in you. We thank you that you are the anchor of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. This last week, uh, I have a friend that's outside the church. He calls me from time to time. He used to be in the church, and he left the church. He, quote-unquote, had a deconversion experience. And then the Lord put me in his path for several months, and I was able to convince him that God is real, that he exists, that he set everything in order. He went so far to say, there may be a God, but it's not the Christian God. And so I, you know, I kept on meeting with him and talking with him. And he'd show up. We actually talked on the porch out here a couple of years ago. And I would just go through not just the Bible arguments. He didn't want to hear the Bible arguments. He didn't believe the Bible. And so I talked to him about reason and philosophy and why God exists and how you can come to that understanding. And finally, he turned. He turned back. But he hasn't fully made his reconversion, so to speak, back into the church. So he calls me up this last week, and he goes, well, actually, he texts me, he goes, call me. And so I called him, he goes, what is up? I go, what do you, what do you mean, what is up? He goes, you know, it's just not going well. In this country, you know, everything is just taking this dive. It, it seems like we're spending ourselves into oblivion and there's problems with the morality in this country and you know people are getting jailed for their faith and all i said you're talking about kim davis the county clerk he goes yeah what's with that and then this guy says you know we got to go kill all the white people you know who that was louis farrakhan he just came out last week and said you got to kill all the white people is what he said and he goes, what is going on? He goes, you know, it makes me want to just get back in the church and we just get our guns. And I, I go, hold on, you know, just take a step back. And he was being truthful. He was not able to tolerate the fact that, like Kim Davis, she was thrown into jail. Now, just a word about that a moment. She was elected by the people, I think it's Rowan County uh, is the name of the county. She was thrown into jail, but she was elected by the people of that county to carry out the laws. And when she was elected, there was not law, this law about same-sex marriage. And so she agreed to be the person to issue these marriage licenses. And then as she's in office, they changed the law on her. And she agreed to be the county clerk... But now the law is changed. And it wasn't legislated. You guys understand that. The Congress did not come forward 
and say, this is now a law. It was the Supreme Court that did it. The Supreme Court did the same thing on busing. The Supreme Court did the same thing on abortion. It wasn't a law. And that's how we're supposed to operate in this country. We're a country of laws. Well, they circumvented the law and they legislated from the bench. And so she says, the law changed on me. When I was elected, this was not the case. So I'm sticking to my elected duties. Now, they have published this idea that there's this other woman who saw the law was changing, so she resigned her post as a county clerk, but Kim Davis chose not to. So now she's in jail, and now there's this big fight. And the judge went far beyond the prosecution. The prosecution just wanted to levy a fine. The judge said, no, you're going to jail, and you're going to sit there until you recant, until you say, I will sign it. She basically said, well, I'm going to be sitting here a long time. And she also said through her attorney, all those marriage licenses that you threatened my assistant clerks with that they didn't sign that they would go to jail, all those marriage licenses are void. I am the county clerk, and I didn't sign them. And so there, there is this battle that is going on between the two. And so, you know, you, you see this going on, and this, my friend, he called me up. He goes, what is with that? following your religion has now become a crime officially because somebody has been incarcerated because of their religious beliefs in this country. And that's exactly what has happened. Make no mistake. She's following her religious beliefs. So he was kind of upset about this. And so I talked to him for probably the next 20 minutes and I let him know this is just all playing out the way it's supposed to. I said, you know this, that in the end, the Christians don't win in this life. We win big in the next life, but in this life, we don't win. I said, this was all prophesied. You understand these things. And he just listened. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I said, you know, you should really decide which side you're going to be on because there's going to be a, a demarcation. Either you're for Christ or you're against him. And if you capitulate, if you give into the ways of the world, you are for the world. Christ said, if you're not for me, you are against me. And so with persecution comes a sifting, a separation. And all of us will at some point, uh, should the Lord tell you, we're going to have to choose. Are we going to follow Christ or are we not going to follow Christ and go the ways of the world? Are you willing for the sake of your faith to have your property confiscated, your house. Are you willing to give it up? You know, that happened in the New Testament. And they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property because they followed Christ. Could you see that happening in this life? If you open up your mouth and you say that homosexuality is wrong, adultery is wrong, uh, all of these things that people just want to say, no, there's nothing wrong, and you stand up and say, no, there's absolute truth, and these things are wrong. Are you willing to stand up and have your possessions taken away from you? Are you willing to be incarcerated for your faith? Because this is the first real example with Kim Davis. This has taken place. There have been other things in Dearborn, Michigan, where there were there's a big Muslim community there, and there were Christians standing on a public sidewalk witnessing to the Muslims in a big festival that's there. I think there were over 100,000 Muslims there. And the police arrested them for being on the street corner 
for witnessing about their faith in Jesus Christ. And so there are a couple of isolated examples, but those isolated examples will have a tendency to pick up. And by the way, the election that's coming, we're not getting a savior. You guys understand that, right? Uh, A lot of the things that have happened already are not going to be rolled back, Uh, especially who you believe in as a particular candidate, you know, whoever your favorite candidate is, even if they are everything you want them to be, there are powers in place that are, that will prevent a lot of movement on this. It will not happen. And so the individual that we get in there, you know, we can have a degree of hope, I guess. We can rejoice a little bit, and it's going to be great. And by the way, I am not a pessimist. I am an optimist, and I'm also a realist. Have you heard some people say you live in Realville? Well, I live in Realville. I dwell where I see exactly what's taking place. God has told us what's going to happen. And so it's my job to communicate that to you so that you are prepared, so that you are not surprised when these things come to pass. If you remember two or two and a half years ago, I told you that gay marriage will be the law of the land. And if it's the law of the land in the United States, it will permeate throughout the entire world. And it is doing that. It's going around the globe. And with that, you will see the decline of the world set of morality standards. They will just begin to decline. Going on from here, I felt that in between the time that I finished the New Testament for the second time and I pick up another book, I should probably just inform you, give you a little bit of an update, do a little bit of review of where we are going as far as eschatology is concerned or prophecy or what is in our future. Now, I can tell you with certainty certain things that are in our future. It's just when they are going to take place. How far out do we still have to go before it becomes difficult to be a Christian here? Well, you have to also look and you have to gauge what's going on in the world. You have to be informed. You have to be up to date. You have to be dwelling in the society as it exists and know what is taking place. You have to pay attention to the news. If you're not paying attention to the news, you might as well, any of us, might as well just be like an ostrich and stick our head in the ground or pull a sack over our head and we can sing our praise songs to our Savior with the sack over the head. But all it does is benefit us. It doesn't benefit anyone else around us. So we have to be informed with what is taking place. Now, Kim, you just sent me that email with the uh, pregnancy care centers that are around the state, they are trying to pass a law to force the pregnancy care centers to offer abortion services. Now, that's the gist of it, right? They cannot just exist to give them uh, counseling on how to have the child. They now, if the law changes, will have to say, here is your right to an abortion as well. Now, if that was me and they forced that on me, I would start preaching at that point I would say, okay, the law is going to force me to do this. This is the abortion service that's available to you, but I want to let you know that's a life in your womb. That is a baby. That is not a quote-unquote fetus, the name that science has given to it. That is a human being. And I would start preaching at that point, and I would offer him salvation at that point, and I would say how the world is going to be judged, and we want to take away our part in the world and that we want to go in a different direction so there's always ways around that now if they want to come and they want to throw those people into jail for giving the gospel right there well, okay we are to understand especially in the um, 
Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, the world will hate you if you follow Christ. Now, if you're not being hated very much, how much are you following Christ? My daughter, two days ago, two days ago or three days ago, she posted something on Facebook. God is real. And a firestorm erupted on Facebook. A couple people said, amen. And then another person said, is that the same God who drowned all the people and the children and the animals in the flood? You know, and they just went off in this tirade. And then people went back and forth. I go, whoa, what's going on? And I threw a little scripture in there. And then I backed away, you know. And it, it was just quite the exchange on there. It's like, don't even mention God. People want to, if they could reach through Facebook and choke you, they would. That is the mental attitude of the people, the emotional attitude of the people in our country. Talk about hate. You know, if we just tell what is in scripture and what's right and wrong as a Christian, especially me as a preacher, I'm called a hater. But you know, Kim Davis received life threats, her and her husband. They were going to burn her house down, but they don't report that. I said that on Wednesday. They don't report that stuff. So what are we supposed to do? What is in our future? What can we expect to take place? Now, I'm going to tell you this just to set the table here and give you a predicate. I am a pre-tribulational rapturist. I believe in the premillennial return of Christ. To wrap that up a little bit, there's a rapture that is coming where God will come and he will snatch us away. Most all of you know this. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and John chapter 14 and Isaiah chapter 26. All of those things apply. So he says, he's going to come take us. It almost seems surreal, but he's going to take us, snatch us, and we're going to meet him in the air when the tribulation starts. How far off is the tribulation? I don't know. It could be right around the corner. It could be a year. It could be 10 years. I, I have no idea how long it's going to be, but there is going to be a rapture. When that takes place, seven years of tribulation, we're up in heaven, married supper of the Lamb. We come back, rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. God destroys the world system at that point, sets up a theocracy. From that point, a thousand years in, there's great white throne judgment. From the great white throne judgment, new heaven and new earth. Everything is made new. All tears are wiped away. Everything is forgotten that was here on this earth. So that's how it plays out. Not all churches believe that. Not all churches believe in a rapture. Not all churches believe in a millennium. I believe scripture is clear. I tried my best to interpret scripture literally when it comes to the narrative portions of scripture. And when it's not... I do. Uh, I use interpretive tools such as metaphors and similes and, and, and midrashes and things like that. And that's not something you get on the side of your body. Now, going, going on, what does the Bible have to say about our future and the future of the world? Of course, all questions that we have, and I've mentioned this previously, all questions that we have about God and everything surrounding us either land in one of, they land in one of four categories. Questions about origin, questions about morality, questions about meaning, and questions about death, destiny. We all want to know where we're going and what's going to take place in the future. And God said, I'm going to tell you what's taken place. And he told us thousands of years ago what is going to take place. Now, for those of you who are with us in home Bible study, we went through the book of Revelation, we went through the book of Daniel, and we dabbled in the book of Ezekiel for a little while. And we laid out God's entire plan, what's going to happen 
as the rapture ensues, the tribulation period, Daniel spelled out the kingdoms that were to come. Most of them have already come. There's only one kingdom left to come, and that's, of course, the toes in the book of Daniel that are referred to. So what does the Bible have to say about prophecy? First of all, all prophecy centers around the Middle East. Believe it or not, the United States is not in biblical prophecy. It centers around the nation of Israel. And so we have to keep our eyes on the nation of Israel. If you take your eyes off the nation of Israel, you will miss what is supposed to take place in the future. So what does God say? What does the Bible have to say about the nation of Israel? I'd like you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. You're actually going to need a Bible on this. I want you to, if you have your own Bible, it's good to pull out a pen because you're going to want to make notes in the margins and say, oh yeah, this is where that prophecy was fulfilled. And if you can remember Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, all the way through 40, all of that, that really focuses on the end times. If you pay attention to the minor prophets also, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, name. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, those are all prophetic books as well. Speak about the coming again of Jesus Christ, that he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. There's just some neat stuff in there as far as prophecy is concerned. But in Ezekiel chapter 36, there was a prophecy given about the nation of Israel that it would once again become a nation. Now, remember when Jesus was here, in what year did he prophesy? He didn't prophesy the actual year, but he prophesied event that would take place that would destroy the temple. Do you guys remember what year that was and that the Jews were scattered at that particular point? You guys remember what year that was that took place because they rejected the Messiah? AD 70. That was it. AD 70 where Titus came in and he ransacked the temple, burned it down, and they were done. So ever since 70 AD until May 14th, 1948, even though there were Jews in the land, it was not recognized as a nation, as the nation of Israel. And so this is a prophecy concerning the nation of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 8. It says, But you, O mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come home. I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor and you will be plowed and sown and I will multiply the numbers of people upon you even the whole house of Israel the towns will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt I will increase the number of men and animals upon you and they will be fruitful and become numerous I will settle people on you as in the past and will make you prosper more than before then you will know that I am the Lord I will cause my people Israel to walk upon you They will possess you, and you will be their inheritance. You will never again deprive them of their children. Go to verse 24. It says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit on you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And it will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you for all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. So this again was fulfilled May 14th, 1948. They became a nation at that point. Never before in the history of humankind has a nation been dispersed for thousands of years and come together again as the same people. This is unique 
in the history that has expired, that has transpired throughout the earth. Now, if you go to Israel today, they have become like the number one or number two exporter of fruit and also flowers in the land there. If you go to the north, up by uh, the Golan Heights, when you get up to uh, where the uh, beginning of the Jordan River, it just comes right out of the ground. It just bubbles right up in a couple of different places. And if you go up there, like the city of Dan is one of those. But if you go up to that northern region, they have avocado fields all over the place. If you're traveling uh, a little bit by the, the coastline, they have these forests that they have planted and when you go there, there are so many trees there. Now they have problems with forest fires. That these trees are so tall and so packed together that they're fighting forest fires. Before, in 1948, there was nothing in the land. It was barren. It was all cut down. If you go down towards the south, towards Elat, they have greenhouse after greenhouse. And they're growing tomatoes and they're growing cucumbers and leeks and onions and they are a prosperous nation if you go to tel aviv they have high rises over there it's a modern day city they're having traffic jams taking place over there the the dead sea is becoming a resort area by elat they have five-star hotels i've stayed in one of the hotels there and they, they are palatial hotels that are down there and you go to, into israel too and israel is excuse me, Jerusalem is bustling over there. It's a bustling city. And there are people everywhere. And there's, you know, mass transit and cars and there's commerce going on. And their unemployment rate is about 5% right now. And people are also immigrating into the land. So what does the Bible have to say about Israel? That they will be in the land. Now, what about this immigration that's taken place? I, I looked up some current day news on the population and the occupation of the Jews inside of Israel. And right now, Israel is experiencing a housing shortage because people from France and Spain and Europe, they're all migrating to Israel and Denmark. I think Denmark also had a terrorist attack on some Jews that were there. And everybody is leaving Europe. Now, this has happened also in the first century with the church. There was persecution that took place. You just hit the lights there, Buzz. There's persecution that took place inside the nation of Israel. And what that caused, could you push those all the way up, Buzz? All the way up. Push those all the way up. It didn't seem like... Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't lose my place. Okay. In the first century church, the church went from Jerusalem, which was the hub. And because of persecution, where did they go? Antioch. Antioch became the launching point for evangelization all over the world. God got them there by persecution. God is getting the Jews in Israel because of persecution. They're not accepted anywhere around the world. You take the 1040 window, no Jew is going to survive very long there if they're a Jew. They're going to come after them. And also in Europe, there is this anti-Semitic move that is going through Europe right now that is causing all the Jews to pack up and leave. The latest one was in France. You know, and they said like 80% of the Jews have exited out of France. And so they're all going to Israel and there's a housing shortage in Israel. And the price of a house, uh, let's see, if the t I forget the years, but it was a decade, uh, a decade ago maybe, that the housing prices went up 90% in Israel because so many people are coming into Israel, so many people who are Jews are immigrating there. And this is a fulfillment. God is bringing all the Jews back into the land, just like Ezekiel 38 said. 
uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu urged European Jews to move back to Israel following the January 9th shootings at a kosher supermarket in Paris and an attack in Copenhagen synagogue. This was uh, in last month, and this was written 3-15-2015. And so they are expecting, it was 2007 to 2014, housing prices went up 90%. And so... Israel is just being packed, and it is a hub of innovation. You know, when cell phones first came out, they were making the small antennas. Before we got to the flip phone, they were making the small antennas on the phone, and they are a hub for technology over there. And they are just, they're going gangbusters. They're doing well. If you go on the Jerusalem Post and you look for some advertisements for some of their high-rise buildings or condominiums, they're selling for millions of dollars. I mean, their economy is just going gangbusters over there. They're expected to... uh, Their economy is supposed to increase by 2.5% to 3%. And it's just going, and they're trying to make sure that everybody is employed. And so they are doing fantastically well over there as compared to us. We are not doing so well. So this immigration is taking place. That's fulfillment of Scripture. Now, I'd like you to turn over to Ezekiel chapter 38. There will be an attack on Israel that is going to come. It is prophesied to take place. Now, this is the part you're probably going to want to take out a pen or a pencil, and you're actually going to want to write in your Bible. This is where it is prophesied that there's going to be a battle that takes place in Israel. The word of the Lord, verse 1, came to me. Son of man, set your face against Gog. Of the land of Magog. Magog, if you want to put parentheses right there, is Russia. If you do a historical search on the scriptures here, Magog is Russia. The chief prince of Meshach and Tubal prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And it's basically talking to the prince or the president or the prime minister, the one who is in charge of Russia. That would be Gog. That's what he is referred to as his name goes on to say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you. O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armored, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Persia, which is Iran, Cush, which is Sudan and maybe Ethiopia, and Put, which is Libya, will be with them, all with shields and helmets. Also Gomer, which is Turkey, with all its troops, and Beth Togarma, which is Armenia, from the far north, with all its troops, the many nations with you. Go to verse 10 in Ezekiel 38. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme. You will say, I will invade a land of unwalled villages. I will attack peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nation, rich in livestock and goods, living at the center of the land, Sheba and Dedan. Sheba and Dedan is Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia and the merchants of Tarshish. Merchants of Tarshish are the area, the Gaelic people that are Scotland, England, Uh, the British Isles that are over there, and also her villages. Now, this might be the one mention of us, the villages or the princes of this particular land. We would be considered a prince or a village of the United Kingdom. If there's anything mentioned in there about us, this is probably it, but this is as close as it gets. Going on from here, we'll say to you, have you come 
to plunder? Have you gathered your hordes to loot and carry off silver and gold and to take away livestock and good and seize much plunder? So what we're doing is diplomatically saying, what are you doing? Why are you coming down and fighting against Israel? What's wrong with you? Don't you know that this is wrong? Now, have you seen that lately? Like Russia brings a bomber over here and flies with 25 miles of our coastline. China just brought a warship 12 miles off the west coast and they're nuclear laden. And what did we do? Oh, you know, they don't mean us harm. They're just coming over here and they're just, you know, they're sailing the seven seas. <laughs> you know, anyhow, when, it, when it, it comes to that, they are threatening is what they're doing. And, you know, if we don't stand up against that which is evil, you know, Edmund Burke, he has that quote, all that is necessary for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And we were the country that would go and do good throughout the land, throughout the world. And now we are being taken back. All of our resources are being sealed up. All the jobs are going away. And so you go, what is going on with the United States? It's prophesied. We're not even mentioned. We're not a player. Now, it doesn't mean we're not here. It just means we're not significant. And right now, we are declining. We were, after World War II, the significant power in this entire world. And we have fallen far from that, and it has happened from within. It has not happened from without. And people say, well, we just get the right people in there. No, ain't going to happen. Because God, he doesn't want us to be that kind of power. What is going to be the power at the end times? It's going to be a, a ten-nation confederacy. Now, not just country, but it's probably going to be an area. The Bible talks about that. Ten different areas with ten different kings over that. So Russia is going to come back down, and they're going to come with Persia. They're going to come with Libya. They're going to come with Armenia. They're going to come with Turkey. And they are going to attack the nation of Israel. Now, look at Russia right now. Are they building things up? Yes, they are. They went into Crimea, into Ukraine, and they keep on pushing. If you just read the news of what they're doing, guess where they're putting troops now? In Syria. They want to support Assad. And they've had a pact for a long time. Where is Syria? It's just north of Israel. And they're loading all kinds of troops in there. Just yesterday, I read an article. John Kerry's kind of concerned about Israel uh, allowing, or not Israel, but Syria allowing the Russian troops to come in and just invade the country, so to speak. They're going to occupy the place. Everything is being set up. Now, you look at that and you go, is this really Bible prophecy or is this just happening? I'll let you decide. Going on. So Russia is gearing up for war. They are making this build up. Several articles that I have. Sophisticated Russian S-400 missiles from Iran under new military pack. S-300s for Egypt and Syria and Hezbollah. So they are moving in these missiles from Russia. And also Iran is having these missiles moved in to Syria and into Egypt and given to Hezbollah. And, and so they are the enemies. Egypt, not so much, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, they're sending over a lot of armaments to uh, the people who'd like to see Israel disbanded and broken up and killed. Also, you probably didn't hear about this. December 7th, 2014, Israel airstrikes hit Russian top-line air defense missiles sent to Syria and Hezbollah. You didn't hear about that, did you? Israel is going in and bombing Russian stuff. How do you think Russia is going to take that? They're not going to take it lying down. But you didn't hear about that, right? So what else is going on? 
Uh, Russia's undeclared takeover of East Ukraine, U.S. and NATO. They talk big, but they're standing by. They're not doing anything. Well, there is also going to be a worldwide change in economics. Do you see that taking place? Look at France. Look at Spain. Uh, Israel's doing great. Russia, it's suffering terribly. Their oil exports are going down. Uh, and there's this economic crash that is taking place over in China. Uh, this is a worldwide phenomena. And, you know, Greece, they don't want to agree to the austerity measures. Like everybody's been given the people in Greece a check. Well, pretty soon you run out of other people's money and pretty soon people stop working because they don't want to give more money to the government. And then the whole thing collapses on itself. We're due to have that happen in California, by the way. California, it, did you hear the latest one? Your gas consumption is going to be mandatorily reduced by 50%. And if you start going over your allotted amount, you are going to be taxed to the hilt. Not only that, but your registration for your automobile is going to go up. And if you drive an electric car or a fuel-efficient car, your registration is going up by 100 bucks. They're going to come after you. And do you think your electric rates aren't going to go up if you have solar panels? They're not going to stand for their money to be taken away. So if you have solar panels, I promise you there is going to be a tax increase on your house for your solar panels because they will not stand for you not paying them more. That's eventually going to... You can see the handwriting on the wall and you say, Bill, are you a prophet? No, I'm not a prophet. I just read the news. What is going on out there? This stuff is transpiring right before our eyes. We need water in the state of California. Sorry, you're going to endanger an extinct fish. And we have to keep the water up in Sacramento. We can't give it to the rest of the state. But we'll build a billion-dollar train that goes to nowhere. Yeah, just don't get me started. Let's go on. Now, in order for the, this person called the Antichrist to come on the scene, he has to be able to garner all the power, right? And in order to do that economically, and, and I can talk about the Antichrist for a little bit. I have a lot of quotes about him. But, but in order for this Antichrist to come in and really gain power, there has to be something happen economically. And that means there has to be an economic worldwide crash. Now, are we setting ourselves up for an economic crash? I don't think... There's any question. It's just a matter of when. It's kind of like the housing bubble. People saw it happening, and so they grouped these mortgage loans together, and that's what led to the uh, crash of the housing market because they put some worthless loans with some good loans, and they sold those, and people bought them in the stock market, and they lost 40% of their money in the stock market. We are printing money. We are what, 17 or $18 trillion in debt, and there's no end in sight. And the government stops the debt for about three or four months in a row, and there's an article, and you hardly know notice it it's just a little blurb the government has stopped increasing the debt over the last three or four months why why have they done that you know there's 94 million people that are unemployed that want to be employed 62 or 66 percent of the workforce is employed while 37 to 38 percent is not employed that's 62 i think it's 62 percent versus 38 38 percent of the workforce of the eligible workers the people that want to work makes up 94 million people and yet you are told the unemployment rate is five percent do you believe that? If you believe that, I mean, we got that sack over our head. We're sticking our head in the ground. We are being lied to. Now, why am I talking about that politics and economics and all this? Because it's setting it up for the end times. 
the Antichrist has to come in. He has to be able to garner all the power. And once there's a worldwide economic collapse, there's going to be somebody coming along that's going to be a nice man. He's going to speak well. And everybody's going to say, wow, he is so smart. We need to put him in charge. And he's going to say, we can do that, but we're going to have a new economic plan. And in order for anybody to buy or sell, what are you going to have? You're going to have a mark. You guys know the scriptures. You're going to have a mark on the back of your hand or on your forehead. Now, we have the Vera chip that is out there. It's been out there for over a decade. It's in the pets. And people are saying, you need to have this for your children in case, you know, your children are kidnapped. And you'll be able to track them wherever they are. Right now, they're tracking us anyhow. They know exactly where we are at all times. Even if your phone is turned off as far as the uh, GPS signal, they still know where you are because it still pings a signal to the towers that are around you. And so they know exactly where you are. You've seen the license plate readers, right? They, they found that guy who was a cop killer that died from a self-inflicted wound. You know how they found him? They found him because of the license plate readers. And they saw his car and they said, we know where he is. And they went right after him. So there is no privacy at all anymore. And if the new antichrist, not new, but he's been around for a long time, uh, Satan incarnate into this man, he is going to be able to know exactly who you are, what you're doing, your online activity, everything about you. If you get out of line, they're going to bring you back in line. They'll be able to control you. Not only that, but they can freeze up your bank account at any time, especially if it's a one world economic system. All of this is just coming to pass. And you might say, where is that in scripture? I thought you would never ask. It's this idea in the book of Revelation where he causes everybody, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand that no man can buy or sell. And so how close are we to getting to that? Remember a few months ago I showed you or I talked to you about a country. It's over in Europe. I think it's one of the northern countries, the Netherlands or one of the Benelux countries. They put, I'm running out of time. They put a chip underneath the hand in order to walk around the company and not have any idea whatsoever, you just put your hand up to the door and the door opens. You put your hand up to the computer and your computer turns on and it has this chip on the inside. They have been working with this for a long time. You know, I'm probably going to have to pick this up next week. <laughs> I got, no, we, hey, we have communion today. And if we don't do communion, I know the... Sunday school teachers are going to be really upset if we're not out of here on time. So I'm going to pick this up next week. I'm I'm going to let you know, I'm going to let you know kind of where we are and what scripture has to say and what you can expect. And by the way, you don't have to fear what's going on. I mean, if, if there's a worldwide economic collapse, we're all in the same boat, right? If the dollar becomes worth nothing, even if you have gold, Really, you think gold's going to, people are going to accept gold? They're going to want food. They're going to want ammunition. You know, you got those Christians that are hunker downers, you know, that just will kill anybody that comes and takes their food. Hey, well, just roll with it. And that's what the Lord says to do. Don't worry and don't fret about your life or how you're going to be fed or what you're going to wear. We're not supposed to worry. That's why I'm optimistic. The Lord told us that this is going to take place. But worry not about tomorrow. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we're supposed to just chill out. The Lord's in control. Even if to the point we lose our lives, we get a new body after that. Fantastic. We get to live forever. And so this, this is the good news. There is no judgment to come for us. We are under the mercy of God. We have accepted him and he has given us his spirit so that we might have this joy as we walk in newness of life. Now what we're going to do for those of us who have accepted Christ, we're going to have the guys come forward and they're going to, oh, excuse me, we're going to have the people come forward and we are going to pass out the communion and we're all going to hold on to it until we can receive it together. But if the worship team first, you guys would come on up, we're going to get everybody lined up and we're going to sing a song as the cup and the bread is being passed out. But just remember this. Now, most of you I know by on a first name basis, not everyone, but if you haven't accepted Christ, you don't avoid all the problems that are coming. You don't avoid the tribulation. You don't avoid the turmoil. Chances are you would lose your life if the rapture happened during your lifetime. Uh, And you want to make sure that you're following, adhering to what Christ tells us through not only his own words, but through the words of the apostles as they are penned. He says if, if you don't accept them, if he's not part of your life, it's not going to bode well for you. And God says, I want all to be saved. Not everyone will be because we won't choose. My prayer for you is that you choose Christ and that you ask him to save you from your sins. The reason we take communion is we recognize he made it possible from us to pass from judgment to life. So as we're singing this song, if you just want to make sure, say, God, I, I really want to make sure. Could you just save me? He knows what you're saying. He knows where your heart is. So I would ask you to pray that prayer as we are singing. But until then, if the guys would come up, excuse me, the people would come up.